0: This Slate Spoiler Special is meant to be played after you see the movie being discussed. The podcast contains explicit language.
1: Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with the Slate Spoiler Special podcast on Dope, the new film from writer-director Rick Famuyiwa. And joining me in Slate's New York studio are three co-discussants who are all of the panelists on the Panoply podcast about race. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey, up?
2: By the way, I've never been called a co-discussant Me
3: before. either. I was
2: like, is that a new racial slur? What's I'm going on co-op here? here? We, <laughs>
3: we're going to co-opt that word. Who are you calling
1: co-discussant?
3: Yeah. <laughs> word.
0: That's a crazy
1: word. I think cool I just word. made that up. Yeah. It's a great word. It,
3: you
0: have that right. And at in least fact, I didn't call
1: you co-discussant.
0: That should replace ally.
1: I was just going to say that. Oh, that's great. Okay, good. So, so you guys, I'm very excited that you came in for this. I'm a big listener to your podcast, and I hope that you, you know our audiences will um, cross paths this way, and some of your folks cross will discover colonate. me, and my <laughs> folks will discover you. So let yes. me introduce you one by one. Okay, to my left is Baratunde Thurston. Hello, Hello, Baratunde. Thanks for coming in. Thank
2: you for being here.
1: Raquel Cepeda. Hello, what's up? And Tanner Colby. Hello. A long spoiler partner.
0: Since 2007?
1: I don't know. Do you Damn, have it engraved? Tanner.
0: Well, Love Guru, was that our first one? or?
1: Oh, my God. I can't believe we spoiled that movie together. Yeah, Just, we that's, did. that's the movie that essentially you can never recover from the shame of having seen. And yes. we've been through that humiliation together. Yes. This exactly. is starting to
3: sound very salacious here in this conversation. <laughs> Should
1: we leave? What is love Should dream, Barrett exactly. <laughs> Should Barrett Oh, thank babe? God it sank like a stone. It was that terrible, terrible <laughs> it was Mike, a Mike Myers movie. movie. All right. So, but today we're here to discuss, I think, a pretty good movie. And what I usually do is go around first and just get a quick reaction of, you know, sort of thumbs up, thumbs down. Would you send your friends to this movie or not? Personally, I thought Dope was delightful. It's one of the, my favorite movies of the summer so far. Um, What about you guys?
2: I would use a different word to describe Dope.
1: I would say it's Dope. <sighs>
2: For real, I will be upset if my friends don't see it. I, I love it, so they should do it.
3: Dope is fresh to death. I loved it. Everybody everybody, I know has seen it almost already. I, I'm going to watch it. I may go see it again. I may take my daughter to
0: see it. I'm actually going to see it again.
1: How yeah. old is your
3: daughter? She's 18.
0: I, th- I thought it was great. I think it's, it's rare because it, it's one of the, uh, you know, in this age of like, it's either blockbuster or Oscar bait drama season, and it's just a fun movie. So you can go and, and it's 90 minutes, two hours, whatever, and it's just a great time.
1: I agree. I do have mild reservations, which we'll get to in the point at some point in the discussion, but I would totally send people to it. So, so now is the time when we essentially summarize what happened in the movie No Holds Barred. Okay. And uh, in this movie, it's actually very useful to do a spoiler special because there are quite a few twists. So we start off in the neighborhood of The Bottoms in Inglewood, California. Our hero, who is played by Shamik Moore, who's a relative newcomer, I think he's done some TV, but this is his first movie, is named Malcolm and uh, does somebody want to take it from there what do we learn about Malcolm in the opening voiceover which is voiced by Forrest Whitaker one of the movie's executives? Well, Baratunde
0: was late so he can't do it <laughs> why
2: are you gonna call me out I was
3: gonna I was, just, gonna was it. on color Quietly. people time
2: and not explain that part of the movie but Tanner had to throw me under the bus <laughs> yes thank you white co-discussant
0: <laughs> so uh, uh, Malcolm is a kid in Inglewood he's obsessed with 90s hip hop he and his friends all go and they, they all talk in 90s hip hop slang and dress in 90s hip hop gear uh, but funnily enough they have their own band, which is called Oreo, which is really sort of white people pop that they play. Um, mm, I wouldn't say
3: it was white people pop. But I they're obsessed they're, with white
0: people's stuff. That's part of what the setup is. Well,
3: They're, they're, they're being accused of liking white people's stuff because they're Like Donald Glover,
0: which was a great joke, yeah. by the way.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really funny. But They like skateboarding, which I think some of that is biographical to Pharrell because he he loves you know he was called like a white boy because he liked skateboarding when he was younger and punk music or rock music or hardcore music or whatever anything that's non urban mm-hmm. so they were being yeah. accused of being or, or was, i guess that's right. the that's right the, the music they play the name. right
1: if the music that they love is this early 90s hip hop the music they play is really more like straight down the line punk almost
3: Yeah yeah it was really cool to see that i can actually it was it, it really touched me to see that on screen, you know that was very complex people that like you know that that kind of challenge that one note narrative of just liking all things urban, and I just I, I just love seeing that and seeing how also that I don't know the young lady's name who played uh, Malcolm's best friend Kiersey Clemens is her name. Yeah. She was just like accepted like and when I grew up. We had, everybody had a gay friend that was accepted. It wasn't like a big conversation that was, that we're having. And well, actually, it should, maybe should have been a big conversation back then, but we were just teenagers. So we we're just like, yo, that's, you know, that's your gay friend.
1: Right. Well, oh, so there's, there's cool. kind of a cute reveal, too, it's, where she is essentially presented as a boy for the yeah, first yeah, scene or that. something, right?
3: I just absolutely love that. I just love the nuances. And the non-binary approach that they took to making this film.
1: So that's the, the key threesome. Let's establish yeah. them. We've got Shamik Moore as Malcolm and then playing with him in his band and essentially sort of accompanying him in his geek posse around high his school. His
0: co-discussants. yes. His, his co-discussants,
1: if you will, are, are Kiersey Clemens as Diggy and then Tony Revolori, who you might recognize from the Grand Budapest, Budapest Hotel, Hotel, as Jib. That's a kid's name? Jib and Diggy. Jib.
3: Yeah. Jib
2: and Diggy, yeah. They got the best. I, I, my friends didn't have such cool names when I was in high school. <laughs>
3: And we never know what he what Jib is, right? Do we right, ever know? Do we ever find ever out? He's that? ethnically ambiguous. <laughs> he's
0: like fourteen percent African. That's all we <laughs> <laughs> know. he's, he's
3: ethnically ambiguous. Yeah. <laughs> this is
1: Great the discussion joke. they have with the white stoner kid later yeah. in the movie, right? Where yeah. he's trying right. to figure out why can he say the N word and I can't say yeah. the N word. And I love that they left the Tony Revolori character's kind of racial his, his ethnic background I love that. completely. Right. Yeah, he's yeah. Guatemalan in real life, Tony Revolori, but you know he 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 could be right. anything.
0: So the basic plot, the next step of the plot is. That uh, Malcolm, because he's uh, infatuated with this girl that a drug dealer is also infatuated with, he ends up going to the drug dealer's birthday party. There's a shootout. The drugs get shoved in his backpack and he finds them the next day when he shows up at school and there's panic. Plus a gun.
1: Don't forget. Plus a gun.
0: And he gets thrust into this, you know, drug dealing caper plot. And what was great, uh, they talked about this in the New York Times profile of the movie. You know, you had all of these menace to society Boys in the Hood movies from the early 90s that really sort of defined that era of black cinema. Mm-hmm. And its I think it's impossible to, to overstate how much, if you're a white kid in the suburbs, that defined black America for you. It was Ice Cube and The Drive-Bys and N.W.A., and that was our image of black America. And what's, what was great, what the director was trying to do with the, with the movie was say, I mean, there's great variety within the black community. You had all these black nerds and different kids, who were in the same environment. So it was kind of a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, taking the lens in the menace to society world and turning it around and putting it on the other black people and what their life is like in that world to sort of expand it.
1: Well, and in even the, Dom, who's the corner drug dealer and the gangster and the guy who throws the yeah. big party where, you know, this drug exchange happens is not portrayed as kind of like, you know, just, he's, he's not just sort of a gangster with grills. No, you, you know, what's cool. He's very and, intelligent.
2: And, and, yeah. And the who
1: who yeah. debates nineties hip hop yeah. with Malcolm in the hood, in the hood.
3: When women are that way, we call them ghetto flowers. So he was like a male version of a ghetto flower. Somebody who has a lot of potential. Had he been a white kid and he would have had great social capital, perhaps and got on to do something else Mm -hmm. you know and it kind of to me showed that you know their kids if you just engage them in the hood that are very smart and can put two and two together and i just he was one engage them first exactly right exactly so for me he was one of my favorite characters and i have a feeling that we're going to see a lot of asap rocky he was just a natural.
1: Yeah, he really yeah, was. He was yeah. but, and, but he kind of dropped out of the movie, though. It was sort of too bad that after that one gone call yeah. from jail, you never hear from Dom again. But
3: you know what's interesting? Every character almost was treated the way like a Kurt Vonnegut like uh, character was. Like even if they were like just an extra, they had everybody had flesh and bone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I, I just really respected that with the writer, without being so overly preachy or whatever. Or everybody didn't have a you know everybody needed to have a message. But every character had a soul, had flesh, and had bone. Even I think there's a I little like bit. That. We haven't
1: gotten there, but I think there is a little preachiness that comes in in that last closing monologue. Last closing my, but yeah. the, oh, it, didn't but, but it, it didn't end there. But it didn't end there, which
3: I was like, shh, thank God. And, and
2: if you want to just pick the two main driving forces of the film, the first is that Malcolm is trying to get into Harvard. He mm-hmm. has an interview scheduled. His public high school guidance counselor does not believe in him and talks him down and down. You, you're arrogant. He calls him arrogant yeah. for thinking that Harvard would waste its time on him. He has a great idea for a college essay, and the counselor says, no, you stay in your lane. You're a poor, fatherless kid from the hood. Yeah. You write that essay. So that's his drive. He wants to get out. He wants to get to Harvard, and then he gets loaded with hood drugs
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
2: by the man who was supposed to be the best example of escaping the hood, who has created these little half-baked hood rats in his mansion in yes. the suburbs, runs a check-cashing place, exploiting his own community, right. and is actually the biggest drug supplier that we can see in this film so far. And the right. reason this whole thing happened in some weird way.
1: I mean, to me, that was that was a weakness in the movie. For one thing, I mean, I guess it's just a movie coincidence, but that this one guy would be the mm-hmm. locus of all of those things was was kind of. But I'm willing to buy that coincidence if the scenes don't sort of. I don't know. Just just don't. I thought make it a was. Yeah. Quite so. Hard. I thought
3: it was cool. I thought I wasn't expecting it. It was just one of those things I wasn't expecting. I thought it wasn't really a bad. I think he was saying making a statement
0: with that. Well, I, yeah, and I think it, it. The film sort of paused to make a statement when when the shootout happened at the, at uh, ASAP Rocky's party. And he ran out with the drugs. And at that point, I thought, this movie's going to be one of those movies that just is like, it's a 48-hour nonstop. You know, he's running. Like Mad, Mad Max. Max. Oh,
3: yeah. Oh.
1: <laughs> right? Oh, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. <laughs> or After Hours, right? Like something where right. you yeah, get caught
0: like in like in after in where rhythm, you just, can't escape. Where, yeah, the night you can't escape, but the day you can't escape. Yeah. And then it stops. And then we're hanging out at the drug dealer's house for a while. And then we got a job interview. And then it's moving fast again. And then it, I, I just felt like the tone... It's a, it's a lot of fun, but it's kind of shaggy. I mm-hmm. felt like the tone sort of was all over the place.
2: So you wanted that pace, that chase pace to, yeah, yeah. I wanted, tuned. I
0: wanted to keep that going, like them, like on their bikes, you know, zooming they around. I like time time To set
2: up their Bitcoin-powered yeah. dark web Molly business online, like right. that takes a pause. Take right, that so that's what bothers me.
1: That what yeah. dominates the second half of the movie, yeah. Barton Day, is exactly that, right? So then they need to get rid of these Can drugs. Sequence. They've discovered like we can't return them, right? There's no way to return them without us either, like getting killed, whatever, getting arrested. So we're just going to sell these drugs online, and they hook up with this white stoner kind of Burning Man type dude, yeah. <laughs> played by Blake Anderson, who who was going to help them offload the drugs. And like you say, Tanner, things kind of slow down plot wise at this point because they need to take the time to learn how to build a mm-hmm. hidden website. And you know, they throw a party and they through social media get start to start to offload this this Molly on the, the dark web. I didn't have a problem with the pacing
3: going up and down fast and slow, and I just I I wanted to learn about. I mean, I just found myself really interested. And I like... I mean, you had to slow down if you're going to add the whole tech thing and yeah. angle into it, right? Because, like... You know, that, that's, I, like, a hard thing to explain, no? I thought they did a, a
2: really fun job with... Like, kids going viral. Yeah. Like, they were very um, generationally appropriate for if you're going to try to sell drugs on the internet, what would you do? And how would you launch? This is, like, basically a product launch yeah. through a concert, a word-of-mouth-only concert. They... You know, we skipped over my favorite scene of the whole movie, which is you know we've left our hero Lily, the daughter of uh, the millionaire, check cashing drug kingpin, Harvard man. Which when I say it like that, it does sound like a lot. <laughs> to <get that> character <laughs> no. to bear. She feels bad that he's gonna miss his Harvard interview, so she drives him. On the drive to this interview, she freaks out. She has to go to the bathroom really bad. She has to pee. She makes a stop at the best Starbucks parody I have seen in a film. Yeah, a 7
3: bucks. 7 <laughs> bucks. That is
2: so It fun. was great. It was like McDowell's and coming to America, but times right. 10. Mm-hmm. And she just squats right in the bushes outside of 7 Bucks, takes a piss, and then get, she blows up on the media because of this. And what's the line? I, I'm hoping somebody Oh, there's the
1: meme, that. the viral meme that's the invented. Pound cake. Right. How am I supposed to eat my pound <laughs> How cake? am I supposed <laughs> to eat my
2: pound <laughs> That cake? is
3: so much. I am dropping Wait, well,
2: not that in like this life, like not just in the film, because they got this dude. He was basically the Antoine uh, Dodson, the hide your wife, hide your kids. Right. Yeah, it was so funny. Film, yeah. Who is, you know, the black sta- bystander who says something really clever to get on the, on the news that people on the internet turn into a gif that becomes a meme. And so Lily, the character who was on this particular drug, becomes the name of the drug Right. So they don't even call it Molly anymore. Yeah, they call so it so cool. Lily. Yeah. Right.
1: Giving rise to another meme, so people on Lily be like, yes. "Yeah, right." Which yeah. is like
2: that is so internet. Like you are right. just ready for Reddit. Like yeah, I, uh, no. The movie,
0: it. the movie is like really, really smart about technology yeah. and the viral web and all of that. And I will say, because you, as you and I, uh, you guys know from the About Race podcast. Uh, I have to chime in on the treatment of white people in the film. Oh, do we have to and talk about white people? Like well, no, because we had this
1: musical theme that kicks uh, in when well, Tanner as as talks it
0: about be it? the violin. As, it as be a we girl's tiniest violin, when we were discussing "Fresh Off the Boat" and "Blackish," "Blackish" has makes better fun of white people than "Fresh Off the Boat." "Fresh Off the Boat's" white people were kind of goofy, and I thought this movie was much better at making fun of white people than "Dear White People." Yeah, okay. The white, the white guys in this were really, really good spot on satires, like mm-hmm. you said of that burning man guy I was like why can't i use the n word and, and yeah i thought a few and,
1: times this is the movie that dear white people wanted to be that's exactly and what be. i said
0: mm. yep and get I, out of my brain <laughs> so i and i had
2: a similar thought in that I like this one more. And I'm... Yeah, I like this one more. Disclaimer, I have a cameo in Dear White People. Yes. You always have to I, I, drop that in. I, and, I will, because I have to, I have to well, it's relevant myself. here. I have it's to, full <laughs> disclosure. That, that and the heart degree. have degree. Because to come both, into every basically I'm in both these movies. I'm, in, <laughs> right. I'm in basically in both these, these well, movies. Well, because, because
1: unlike Dear White People, we won't get off on a discussion yeah. of that movie, but it didn't really have a main character and a main story, right? I mean, this movie feels like it has more of a heart to me. It's not so episodic and spread out and kind yeah. of an excuse for a lot of punchlines and scenarios. It's more like you're following this kid and you care about this kid. And And I think it was
3: what I liked about it is that it was not binary. So, where Dear White People was just dealt with like white and blacks, every in 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 um dope, we were dealing with everybody and even Mm -hmm. racial ambiguity, right? I just I thought that was really cool, really funny, right? (laughs) I mean, to to me, Dear White People they're both good movies, but I like this one better. I like this this one, and this is
2: more fun for sure. This is fun. Dear White People is like it's just it's more it is a hard nose, a harder nose, like pointed, darker satire. This was a great comedy. That mm-hmm. also, it was also and it's younger, it's more playful. It's like high school versus college. Yeah, it's an elite liberal arts versus a public school. Yeah, um, so we have yeah, multi generational like Dear White People is all college age kids only, except for the dean mm-hmm. and then the per- and the school president. We should come back to this movie. I'm so <laughs> well, sorry. So, so
1: let's let's get to the to spoiling like the ending, the stuff that happens in the last reel of the movie. I basically. took a
2: bathroom break. I didn't see what happened. <laughs> at <the evening>. right.
1: <laughs> you just do middles, right? I, I'm the king of the middle. I'm like <laughs> mid, middle. I take
2: the Silicon Valley approach. but middle out is how I watch films uh, as well. Getting
3: back to Dope.
2: Yeah. Dope. So so bring us home. How what you know? We got kids on my, on Lily. We have uh, Malcolm who has to go through a series of hoops. To not only get the store set up and start distributing, but then convert the Bitcoin that he's generated into cash.
1: You're right. And- you, I was trying to figure out what I would consider to be the action climax of the movie. And it is essentially that moment that he has to trade in this this Bitcoin money that mm-hmm. he's made on the web, right? This kind of like abstract money for an actual suitcase, a, a, a sort of like faux Louis Vuitton or something suitcase mm-hmm. full of cash.
2: You know what? The, this, is, this, this movie, when I think about it now, reminds me of Pulp Fiction. You're taken on this journey, a very physical journey through the city, and you meet interesting and weird characters along the way. Mm-hmm. You meet a Bitcoin expert. You meet a check-cashing Harvard grad who's a drug kingpin. You meet uh, Dom, who's fascinating himself. You meet the pound cake dude. You know, just for a brief flash moment, and you meet the guy with the bags, the fake versus real. Another I racially undefined yes. character. Who is somehow key to like the underworld of black market Bitcoin transfers, yeah. mm-hmm. and who demands that Malcolm show who he really is and hit him straight up in the face? So that was a, a really important beat uh, moment to think about. We're, we're being taken on a tour of characters uh, in a weird world of L.A. that's very multiracial, powers distributed in unexpected ways. Uh, yeah, it's
3: fun. Well, I thought it was going to end on that message where you know not fitting in is the best place to be, and I was just like, oh, okay. But it didn't end there. It actually ended the way that I love the. W- I, my favorite endings are open endings. Like you just don't know. He got this letter. We don't know. His a uh, letter about whether he got into Harvard or mm-hmm. not. Right? It's thin, so you really don't know if he got in. Because usually, when the letter's thin, I'm told that means you didn't get into college. But when college, it's a big right? envelope, it usually means. But it yes, was so same. thin, no? Oh, okay, for me, yeah. for somebody like me who uh, – I didn't go to Harvard. Um, so again, I, I signed something. I, <laughs> like I've already said too much. I, I didn't know whether he got in or not. I just thought that it was just like an open ending. Like, wow, like this is a I point. I just he, got in. he, he yeah. gave a little smile, a
1: smile to the He gave he opened
3: it. I, I was, I was right. pretty certain he got in
2: too, but that's, again, proprietary information. I, I think we, we skipped a beat. I'm sorry. On the, the mess? Couch.
0: Right before oh, we get to the message,
2: yes, the the way he ties the knot around mm-hmm. uh, his interviewer and drug, uh, drug supplier, drug supplier yes. it was brilliant. It was was great. So, so great. Cool. So you know, he had this challenge of how do I link um, this Bitcoin account to a real bank account without implicating myself? And so he ends up tying it to the bank account of the check cashing king slash drug dealer slash Harvard interviewer man, and he delivers. A speech back to him. You know, this guy had lectured him about Amazon. He went on a real weird tangent about I want cash instead of drugs, mm-hmm. but he was like very insistent and plotting when he did that. And Malcolm just delivers such a great closing punch, which is like your hands are tied. Like he you basically made...
0: blackmails him into getting his Harvard recommendation. Yeah, he's exactly. But is the idea,
1: yeah. and this is a pretty major plot point for me not to have grasped, yeah. but is the idea that. He has rigged it in such a way that the guy is going to get caught, or he's not sure if he's no, going to no, get that caught. That
2: he has a chance of getting caught. Because yeah. the government's not looking at all this stuff anyway, but
0: he has coded it. It's, like a,
3: it's like a carrot that's just dangling it, there. It's like a ticking bomb.
0: Yeah. I thought it was more that I could pull this trigger at any time. Like uh, I could oh. reveal this, like like if if I change with a stroke at
2: the keyboard, with the it's stroke like of a the hidden, keyboard, it's like a right. IED that he controls.
0: But that was yeah. another weird thing to me too. Was they had the the cop, the white cop, who was like you know sort of lurking around Who's the edges. He's close. looking at a line of code at the end of the movie. Yeah, I, we, I think
3: he does get caught. I think that he does get
1: caught. I think it's implied that they he does. were
3: they were yeah they were like doing some encoding. I need yeah, and I wanted a
2: screenshot of that to see what they were looking at and yeah. even how they got to see the programming behind yeah that
3: that i didn't get a
2: police officer would not be able to just see the code it's
3: not it wasn't they probably hired a nerd they probably hired a right they probably hired somebody like a lot of times like hackers right get hired by the government oh yeah like in um house of cards good right
0: okay yeah there's some loose ends ends and some shagginess in this movie
3: as no i
1: like open endings
3: i think it's just like certain things are meant to be open like right Meant for us to interpret. So, right. so what happens in the in the very end?
1: Well, there's a second action climax too, yeah. right? There's the there's the Asian dude that makes him choose between the two bags, which yes. is the real bag, which is the fake bag, which becomes this whole sort of metaphor for authenticity, right? Right. And he ends up with the the bag, but then he gets shanghaied by the bullies from his school. Remember oh, yeah. the guys who stole his sneakers early on, mm-hmm. and uh, and they discover, oh my god, he's got this bag full of cash. cash. And, and that's the moment, yeah, that's the moment that, which is kind of a surprise to us because yeah. so far there's been gun violence, but not, Jib, Diggy, and Malcolm have not pulled guns on anybody, yeah. right? Yeah. They've right. remained they like away nerds the, the whole time, right? Yeah. Just solid, like they're trying to keep out of, of trouble. And suddenly he pulls a gun on the bullies to get his, his cash back.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And I loved that moment because it, it brought it way down from the comedy, right? This was like survival. And he had to make, he had to make a choice that he never would have voluntarily Chosen, he was backed into a corner, and he chose survival, mm-hmm. and and so you get the judgment that maybe even he had of the drug dealers that are you know poisoning his neighborhood. He got a thing a little experiential glimpse at what they might be going through, just a little bit, and like, and he's on such a different path. He's on the Harvard path, but he has a bag of money, and he's defending that bag of money and his future at Harvard. With a weapon, right? And I think for the audience, it was a nice, you know, mood change before him. Like you, there's some calculation. He doesn't want to do this, but he wants to live. Yeah, and the and fact he that chooses he chooses his life, you know, over right. the life of somebody else potentially, and that's a huge decision for for anybody, especially a high school kid who has designs on Harvard and geek stuff and punk rock bands and hasn't lived that life at all.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I was going to say that that's the moment that makes him able to write the college application yeah. essay that we hear in the very next scene, right, where he's dropped his original idea about Ice Cube's Good Day being his college application right. essay. And he does write about his background and being from the hood, but he also writes about – I mean, essentially, he creates these two portraits, right? Mm-hmm. Like, here's one kid, and he sort of paints a portrait of the kid he was before all of this stuff went down. And then imagine this other kid. You know, yeah. who's on the run with drugs and a gun and, you know, gang violence. And, and he sort of – what his essay ends up being about is like this bright line that you're trying to draw between these two kinds of young black men can't really be drawn.
2: That we are capable of of being all of those. And we something we talk about so much in, in our show about race, plugity plug plug, <laughs> is um, – is that multiple identity life, whether it's the code switching required when you have that kind of life or whether it's the full spectrum of your humanity and your identity being recognized in how many right. boxes you check on a census form. His essay was, I check both these boxes. Uh, I love to have a, a, a friend. Uh, actually, he's talked about it publicly. So I can even say his name. Ron J. Williams from Brooklyn, black, went to Harvard, has startup life. And he, when he talks to high school kids, he presents them with this checklist at the beginning of his talk. And he's like. I want to tell you a couple potential facts uh, about me. Uh, One checkmark was arrested for gun possession. One checkmark graduated from Harvard University. One checkmark freestyle rap for six years. And they're like, there's no way you went to Harvard. Like these kids, they'll believe the gun. They'll believe the Uh freestyle rap. uh, They do not believe the Harvard thing. They certainly don't believe one person can contain all those worlds. Malcolm's character reminded me. He reminded me of you, Raquel, but he reminds me of my friend Ron much more in in that sense
1: because he could check that box, yeah. Yeah, I think that really is – that's, that's to me, the strength of this movie. Yeah. I mean, for all the quibbles I may have about the pacing or, you know, it was this scene a little bit too heavy? I, I thought maybe the actual voiceover of the college application essay was a little heavy-handed because mm-hmm. we've seen that yeah. in Whiskey Business. We just saw it in The Spectacular Now a couple years ago. Like, every time there's a high school senior in a movie, you have to hear him voicing over his college application essay. Right. But that's, those things are quibbles just compared to, mm-hmm. like, the, the spirit and the life this movie has and the, the breadth of vision that it kind of gives of this kid right. and his world. And I, I like what, showing
3: uh, kids that are, quote-unquote, urban – liking things that are not expected of them because that kind of like when i said that it reminded me of my of my husband he was into hardcore so when hip-hop was happening cbgb's was happening in the 80s -hmm. you know what i mean like all these things were like going down at the same time and there were a lot of people who skateboarded and loved to write graffiti so uh, to me that was just really cool that was what had me actually feeling nostalgic a little bit when i was watching it you gotta take him to see it then yeah definitely
1: all right, y'all. I wish we could we could talk all day about this movie. I hope you'll come in and spoil another movie with me sometime because it's yes. really, really Absolutely. fun. Absolutely, yes. So, again, Baratunde Thurston, Raquel Cepeda, and Tanner Colby from the About Race podcast on Panoply. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you. Thank you. Our producer is Zach Dinerstein. The managing producer of Slate Podcasts is Joel Meyer. And the executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.